Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Continuing our studies in the doctrine of salvation, we come now to this glorious doctrine, the very centerpiece of the doctrine of salvation, union with Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. I'll begin with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Father, we are so grateful for this wonderful passage of your word, which highlights for us in broad strokes the many blessings that are given to us in your Son, We pray that you will give us today as a result of this, our concentrated attention on this wonderful subject of union with Christ, that you'll give us a close and a clear understanding of it and through that a greater appreciation of the beauty and the glory and the value of Jesus Christ. Help us to go from here rejoicing in him. We pray that you'll refresh the hearts of your people. In the gospel of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, we have explored the saving work of Christ in its various dimensions. We've been looking at redemption planned, saw that broad category, redemption accomplished, the work of Christ, what he did in his death and resurrection. We've been moving now, transitioning to that third broad area, redemption applied. Our question that we take up this morning is simply this. How did what Jesus, how does what Jesus did for us become effective for us? 
How does what Jesus did for us become effective for us individually? So, Jesus is the one who died. Jesus is the one who paid the penalty of sin. Jesus is the one who bore the curse of the law against sin. Jesus is the one who rose from the dead into the age to come. Jesus is the one who is vindicated in his resurrection. Jesus is the one who ascended. Jesus is the one who is exalted at the right hand of the Father. How does all of that become valuable to us? How is it what he did becomes effective for us? That's the question this morning, and the answer in brief is found for us. It is provided in this expression that occurs so many times in the Apostle Paul that we can tend to read over it without thinking. In chapter 1 here in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us in Christ. Us in Christ. In Christ is the answer to the question. And notice here that every spiritual blessing comes to us in Christ. Every spiritual blessing comes to us in union with Christ. Notice here, he says, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has ascended. He has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He is glorified, and we are in him. And by virtue of our union with Christ who has been crucified, who was raised from the dead, who has ascended into heaven and been exalted by virtue of our union with him in all of this, all that he accomplished becomes ours. And that, in a nutshell, is the whole study this morning. If you fall asleep, now you've got the message. And as you can imagine, there's a lot more to be said. I'm a preacher. I want to say it the long way if I can. But that, in a nutshell, is the answer. Christ is the accomplished Redeemer, and we now partake in the benefits of what he did because we are in him, in union with him, joined to him. We'll explore some other metaphors that talk about that in the, in the Bible as well. And notice again, we are, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That is, there's a completeness to it. Every spiritual blessing, every saving blessing comes to us as we are in union with Jesus Christ. So he enumerates them. Verse 3, we have the broad statement, he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've got it all. That's verse 3. In Jesus, joined to him, we've got it all. And then beginning with verse 4, he begins to enumerate some of them. Verse 4, chosen in Christ. Verse 5, adopted as sons in Christ. Adoption to himself as sons through Christ. Verse 6, blessed in the beloved. That is, we enjoy saving benefits because we are joined to Jesus. Verse 7, in Christ we have redemption and forgiveness. 
verse 10, he speaks in ultimate terms here, looking to the final outcome of God's saving purpose when all things are united in Christ. Verse 11, we have a great inheritance in Christ. That is, because I'm joined to Christ, I share in his inheritance. Verse 12, we have hope in Christ. Verse 13, in Christ we're sealed by the Spirit. All of that is to say, verse 3, every spiritual blessing comes to us because we are joined to Jesus Christ. In some wonderful sense, the two have become one. And because we are in him, all that he accomplished becomes ours. The whole ground of Paul's rejoicing in this wonderful hymn of Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, the whole ground of his his rejoicing is that the saving accomplishments of Christ become ours because we are associated with him. We are in union with him. We're joined to him, or he uses typical phrase, we are in him. All of that to say, salvation is a deeply personal thing. It has to do simply with Jesus. Salvation is not a package of some kind that we receive from God. Salvation is simply union with Christ the Redeemer. What we have, we have because we're joined to him. Jesus is more than a provider of salvation. Jesus is himself the Savior, and joined to him, we share in all that he accomplished. Everything about salvation we have only because we're in him, in our Redeemer. So salvation then is a sharing with Christ in his accomplishments as the mediator, as the redeemer, and all saving experience, all saving blessing hinges on the question of whether or not we are in Christ. In Christ is every spiritual blessing. He's accomplished it all. Outside of Christ, there is no saving blessing at all. Only as we are in him do we have saving blessing. So long as we're separated from him, all of his saving values and work is of no value to us at all. We must be in him. I've said it now three, four times. I'll say it some more. You've heard me use, I think, the the metaphor many times. I've said it, I, I like it particularly, about I've said that we, when Jesus went to the cross, he took us with him riding piggyback on his shoulders. That's this doctrine of union with Christ. He went to the cross alone. He had to pay the price alone. He alone could do it. And yet there's a sense in which he was not alone. He took us with him and we are crucified with Christ. And in union with him, the debt was paid. In union with him, we were condemned. And Jesus rose from the dead, 
God raised him in vindication. And when he came from the dead, he brought us with him, riding piggyback on his shoulders. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he took us with him, riding on his shoulders, as it were. We are in him, and all that he has accomplished becomes ours because we are in him. And joined to him and associated with him, as we will see, by the Spirit through faith. Now this this idea just dominates in the New Testament. This expression, in Christ, or with Christ, or through Christ, or through him, or in him. That little prepositional phrase just dominates in the New Testament. And it's so much, I think, too often we just scan over it and lose the significance of it. Sometimes the expression is with Christ. In fact, in the Greek, there's a with, with verbs. So it's raised together with Christ, crucified together with Christ, raised up with Christ, made alive with Christ, buried together with Christ, living with Christ, co-heirs with Christ. We have all of these expressions to tell us that we have every saving blessing only because and only as we are joined to Jesus. Now, it may be that Paul learned this doctrine, first of all, from Jesus himself on the Damascus Road. You remember how the apostle was greeted by our Lord? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? And I think Paul suddenly had this realization. I'm sure it grew on him as time went, that as he opposed the church, and as he persecuted the church, he was, in fact, persecuting Christ, who is one with his people. This is why Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I persecuted Christ. That's what he says. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst one that ever lived because I persecuted the church of God. Paul would think back to his pre-conversion days and think of what he would do, what he had done, and he would, I think, shudder. What I did, I did to him. Jesus speaks of that, this doctrine in John chapter 11. I'm sure as the Apostle Paul became acquainted with with Jesus' teaching, he learned it from there as well. Jesus says at the resurrection of Lazarus, you remember the scene, he talks to, to, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say simply, I'm the one who raises the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. And just as God raised him from the dead, so also those joined to Jesus are raised with him from the dead. Jesus speaks of it again in John chapter 15. He uses a different metaphor. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Just as the branches can't live off on their own, but they can only bear fruit as they are joined to the trunk from which all of the enablement comes, so we, and here he speaks of union with Christ in in terms of a vital, organic connection, so we can do nothing except as we are joined to Christ, the trunk as it were. Jesus, again, is more than a provider of saving blessing. He is himself 
the blessings that he provides. And the benefits of salvation then are available to us only as we are joined to Jesus Christ. This is everywhere, everywhere in the New Testament. Union with Christ, the ground of all saving blessing. Let me give you just a a survey of some of it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 here, we are chosen in Christ. We have the same in 2 Timothy 1.9. We're chosen. We're predestined in Christ. God set his love upon us, determined to save us. How did he do that, sinners that we, we are? Answer, he saw us in union with his Son and chose us in Christ. Ephesians 1 here, verse 7, redeemed and forgiven in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 5, made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 6, seated in heaven in Christ. And on it goes through the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, we're called in Christ. Verse 1 Corinthians 15, we are future bodily resurrection is because we are joined to Christ and we will be raised with him. He was raised, he brings us with him. Now we come a little later, of course, when he returns, but still it is sharing in his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, sanctified, made holy in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Just as Christ has been raised from the dead and has entered the new creation, the age to come. So we, in Christ, are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, we are justified in Christ, made righteous in Christ, because he is the righteous one who has achieved justification, been vindicated in his resurrection. Romans 5, 1, Romans 8, 1, the same, justified because of our union with Christ. Galatians 3, verse 26, we're adopted in Christ just as he is the son, so we in him become sons. And Paul amplifies that. You remember famously in Romans chapter 8 that if we are sons, we're then heirs. No, we're co-heirs with Christ. Colossians 3, verse 1 We're raised with Christ, we're ascended with Christ, we're seated in heavenly places in Christ. Romans chapter 6, we have eternal life in Christ because he has been raised to eternal life. Romans 8, we persevere in Christ. Romans 8 again, we're glorified in Christ. Every saving blessing comes to us only because and only as We are joined to Jesus Christ. Again, salvation is not a thing that we have somehow because of Christ, but otherwise detached from Christ. Salvation is simply a sharing in the accomplishments of Christ himself because we're joined to him. And so we're chosen in Christ because he's the mediator. We're forgiven in Christ because he's the one who paid the debt and suffered for sin, and we are in him. We're justified in Christ because he is vindicated before God and is righteous before him, and he has established our righteousness for us. Actively on his part, 
fulfilling all the requirements that God has ever placed upon us, and then suffering to bear the penalty of our sin. And in all of it, we are joined to him. We're adopted in Christ because he is God's son, and we are joined to him by faith. We become sons in him. New creation in Christ, glorified in Christ because he has gone ahead of us into glory in his resurrection and ascension. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that picture. It's really graphic. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Where Jesus is portrayed there as, as a kind of safe place to hide. When God comes in his wrath against sin, where will you hide? There's only one safe place, and that's in Jesus. This is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. I've told students that this is, the, if you want to put it this way, the theologic of salvation. This is how it works. Redemption planned, chosen in Christ. Redemption accomplished, crucified with Christ, raised with Christ, ascended with Christ, and glorified with Christ. Redemption applied, Justified in Christ, sanctified in Christ, glorified in Christ. All of this because we are in union with him in all of his accomplishments. Union with Christ is not simply one benefit of salvation. It is the whole of it all. It underlies every aspect of salvation. It is the consideration that accounts for everything about salvation. We have it only because we're in Christ. So if we're asked, what is the fundamental blessing, the foundational blessing of salvation, we might be tempted to answer, as many have, the fundamental blessing of salvation is justification. There's good reason for saying that. Nothing else that God does for us matters unless we're right with him, justified, But you see, foundational to that is that I am justified only as I am in union with Christ. Here is the fundamental of all fundamentals with regard to salvation. I have it because I am in Jesus Christ. Think of it in terms of what we've talked about here many times. I think saying it this way originated with John Calvin, the twin blessings of salvation, justification, and transformation. Justification, the objective legal standing before God, accepted before him, acquitted. Transformation, the renovation of a sinful, corrupt human nature. These are the two broad aspects of salvation, the twin promises of the gospel. How is it I have justification? How is it I can stand right before God and have him acquit me of all of my sins? Really, one answer. I'm in Jesus Christ, who is for me all the righteousness that God requires. That's Romans 5. I was in Adam, and in Adam there's sin and disobedience, and there's death and condemnation. 
But now I'm in Christ. I have a new representative head. And in him there's obedience and there's righteousness. And there's justification and there's life. How is it I can have justification? Answer, Romans 5, I'm in Christ. No longer in Adam. I have a new representative head. I'm in Christ. And then there's Romans 6. Oh, if the sin question is taken care of, maybe I can sin all I want and sin doesn't matter anymore. No, you're in Christ. And just as you are in Christ, and in him you have a legal, righteous standing before God, so also in Christ there's transformation of heart and life. He's been raised from the dead, we've been raised with him, and there's a transformation of our being. And in Christ, this is the answer to the whole breadth of our salvation. We have it all because we share in the accomplishments of Christ himself. Again, he is not just the provider of salvation. He is himself the blessings that we receive. I heard Sinclair Ferguson say this years and years ago. I thought it was just a wonderful insight and a wonderful observation to say it this way. Grace. He said, grace is not a thing that God gives us. We say, God, give us grace. We use that language. That's fine. But it is not a thing that God gives us. What grace is simply is Jesus. And it's in him we have whatever blessings grace bestows. not surprising then that we have commonly in the New Testament, like we have here in Ephesians, in the opening verses, the greeting that Paul gives to the various churches, he uses this phrase, in Christ, as a simple designation for Christians. He writes to the Christians in Ephesus, but that's not what he calls them. It's the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. He does the same in Colossians to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He does the same to the believers in Thessalonica and in Rome and in everywhere else he writes. He reminds us, this is the designation for Christians. Here are people who have found that safe place to hide. They're in Christ. And so, in Christ, there's no condemnation. In Christ, there's every saving blessing that God gives. We have several metaphors for this in the New Testament. They're wonderful, all of them. The dominant ones that we find in the New Testament are one, Christ as the head and his church as the body. There are overtones in that of the authority of Christ leading the church, authority over the church, and so on. But there's also the overtones of this organic connection. The head is not just simply nailed onto the body. There's an organic connection, a vital connection between head and body. And he leads and he guides and he enables his people as the head of the body. The other dominant metaphor that we find in the New Testament is Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. Marvelous picture appealing to the marriage relationship which from the beginning Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 referring back to Genesis 2 from the beginning it was intended to teach us of this wonderful union of Christ and his church just as husband and wife are brought together and become one flesh 
in a sense, the same person. We've seen that in our Genesis studies. Just as the two brought together become one and share in everything together, so also Christ and his church. They come to him, he comes to them, and they, in him, come to share in all that he is. And the two are one in the most intimate of terms. Martin Luther, the reformer in the 16th century, amplified on this in some some famous ways. Christ and the bride have become one flesh. And it follows then that everything that belongs to the one belongs to the other. The good and the bad. And we then can glory and exult in everything that the bridegroom is because we are in him. And so Luther would expand on that. There's in us, in us, there's nothing but sin and death and condemnation. In Christ, on the other hand, it's full of grace and life and salvation. And we come together and are married. And he even used the metaphor of the wedding ring of faith. Joined to Christ by faith, all that he is becomes ours, and all that is ours now belongs to him. In all of our sin, in our death, in our condemnation, the Lord Jesus takes to himself. And all of that is in him, the grace and the life and the salvation, it becomes ours because we are in him. Joined to Christ, all that belongs to the one belongs to the other. And as I say, this is just the heart and soul of salvation. From redemption planned, to redemption accomplished, to redemption applied, it is all because we are joined to Jesus Christ. Now that raises some questions that I can't expand on fully here this morning, but we will in time to come, but just a taste of them a little bit. How do you get into Christ? How is it we get in? If in Christ is the only way to find and experience saving blessing, how do we get in Christ? First part of that answer we have seen in the previous few weeks, and that is the Holy Spirit as the bond of our union with Christ. That's the foundational reality. We've seen that now, particularly in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. Christ baptized us with his Spirit into his body through the Spirit who now indwells us. We are united to Christ in all of his saving work. The Spirit of God is the bond that unites us to Christ. We've seen that. I have to let that go now. The other part of it, and this part I'll I'll expound, I hope, in, in some weeks to come. How do we get into Christ? We answer, not only is the Holy Spirit the bond of our union, but faith is the means of receiving Christ. Faith is the means of receiving Christ. 
Now, on the one hand, here we have a lot of statements in the New Testament justified by faith, in Christ by faith. There's some interesting terminology in the Gospel of John in particular, and it may be that Jesus, John, coined the expression. Instead of saying, believing in Christ, or believing in him, that preposition is used some too, Dominantly, the expression is they be, we believe into Christ, believing into him. The idea is that by faith somehow now we have become joined to Jesus Christ. And because by faith we are in him, now all that he is is ours. And that's why we are justified by faith. And that's why hearts are transformed by faith, Paul can say. Paul can say in Philippians chapter 3 that his whole hope is in the coming day of judgment that he alludes to. Is that he will be found not having his own righteousness, but the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so in the New Testament, faith is spoken of with all of these various metaphors, and I look forward to working some of them out with you. Wonderful metaphors of faith. Faith is a receiving of Christ taking him to be for us what God has required of us. Faith is spoken of as a laying hold of Christ. Or Luther's famous metaphor, closing with Christ. The idea of it all is is latching on to him so that we have what he embodies and the salvation that he accomplished. The wonderful metaphor that the book of Hebrews uses, playing off of the book of Numbers and the Cities of refuge. We have fled for refuge to Christ. That's close to what John and Jesus speak of as coming to Christ. We come to him and we receive him or even eat and drink of Christ. That metaphor is used. And in all of these we speak of partaking in him so that in union with him we have the salvation that he embodies. Salvation consists in union with Christ the Redeemer. And faith then is just the laying hold of Christ. And being joined to him by faith, we have the salvation he accomplished. A couple of ways then we need to apply this. What does all this mean? What's the bottom line? Number one. If it tells us anything, it tells us the exclusive, the exclusive value of Jesus Christ. If this brief survey of what union with Christ in this theme in the New Testament shows us anything at all, it teaches us the necessity and the exclusive value of Christ. Put it this way, there is no saving Experience, there is no saving blessing to be found anywhere outside of Jesus. This is the cutting edge of the exclusiveness of the gospel that is so much under debate today. Do you have to believe in Jesus to be saved? Where else will you find justification but in Jesus? 
Where else will you find transformation of your sinful heart outside of Jesus? He is the only one in whom salvation can be found. Put very bluntly, outside of Jesus Christ, you are lost. If you are not in Jesus Christ, you have no righteousness at all to plead before God. No ground of acceptance at all. All you have is your sin and your guilt and your debt outside of Jesus. If you are not in Jesus Christ, you have no means of acceptance You have no means of access to God. You have no ground on which you can approach him. And in fact, you're still estranged. That's the language of the New Testament. You're estranged from God. The relationship you have with God is one of hostility. Plainly put, God is against you unless you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, let that sink into your hard heart. If you are not in Christ, you have no acceptance, you have no access. God is against you. And if you are not in Christ, you are still under the dominion of sin and slave to that which brought you the condemnation in the first place. Outside of Jesus Christ, you're lost. Jesus Christ alone has satisfied the demands of divine justice. Jesus Christ alone has conquered sin and death and been vindicated before God. If you're not savingly in faith joined to Christ, you have none of it. There's no salvation apart from Jesus. To be in Christ is our only hope. But if all of this survey tells us of the exclusive value of Jesus, it also teaches us of the full all-sufficiency of Jesus. If you have Jesus, you don't need anything else. Well, Nat, do you remember the whole lesson of the book of Colossians that we studied some time ago in Sunday school? Our sufficiency in Christ. So all you need is Jesus. Questions of whether or not I am good enough ought never to haunt the believer. Of course, I'm not good enough. I'm in Jesus, and he's good enough. Christian ought never despair in a struggle against sin. Will I ever overcome this? Of course I can overcome this. I am in Jesus. Questions of eternity. Will God accept me? Ought never haunt the believer. Of course he'll accept me. I'm in Jesus. And there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All of this comes to tell us So long as you stand outside of Christ, you have nothing. You're on your own, and you're lost. But it tells us also 
that in Jesus Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in him. Join to the one who has accomplished it all and sharing in him all of the blessings he secured in his saving work. Amen. Let's pray.